Naomi, I screwed up the episode intro last time. Do you want to give it a crack? Show our listeners who's boss. Hello and welcome back. You're listening to Why Will No One Date These Guys with Naomi Guy and Sammy. her brother. <laughs> Say your name. An acquaintance. Oh God. A mysterious man in the night. <laughs> and, today, gone tomorrow. And, like Shane oh from my all God. those cowboy movies. Or like the lone gunman. <laughs> No, and Joel Guy. Um, this is a podcast exploring love, dating, and relationships. Today, we are um, back with the second part of Why Does He Do That? Um, a book exploring inside the minds of angry and controlling men by Lundy Bun- Bancroft. I was about to say Bundy again. I was about to say Lundy Bundy. Lundy, Lundy Bundy. You know, I, I went to <laughs> a uh, uh, to school with a girl named Lindy. Um, oh, I remember her. She was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Lindy. What a great person. Now I feel bad for saying your last name, so I'll make sure to cut that out. <laughs> Writing a note down here, cut out. No, just cut out her last name, and then just be like, I feel really bad for mentioning your last name, and everyone's going to be like, but you didn't! Yeah, that's true. Um, what are I'm we drinking thinking, today? Uh, well, we're drinking the low-calorie pink lemonade, which I just noticed was low-calorie pink lemonade uh, from Trader Joe's. It's made with organic lemon juice. It's 40 calories for eight... I don't know what that means. I don't count calories. Sorry, I, what I'm trying to articulate, Naomi, which yeah. I feel is very important, is this book came out in 2002. Yeah. Family Matters had been on the air for years, and Urkel's catchphrase was, did I do that? Did and I'm I do that? Yeah, I'm wondering... No, you finish that, and then I'll give you the rest of it. Pour it into the cup. Okay, but you won't get the full taste buds. Look, Trader Joe's, until they promise to pay for our episodes... I'm not going to do anything more than I have to do these drinks. Look, Trader Joe's, if you want to sponsor us, we will give a full, well-rounded review. Five, ten minutes where we talk about every every, aspect of this product. every single time. And then we'll go into detail about our favorite products from the week because Joel and I are Trader Hoes. I hate that so much. That's bad. That needs, like, six shots of stevia. Yeah, no wonder this is 40 calories per cup. It tastes like when you get that lemonade mix in, like, that really big, like, oatmeal-looking, like, jug thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then you just put in, like, the tiniest little bit in, and then it tastes like that. Don't buy Trader Joe's lemonade, y'all. No, don't buy low-calorie lemonade. That's That's your first... Don't let Joel buy you drinks from Trader Joe's, (laughs) y'all. Joel, do you have anything to say before we hop right into this episode? Well, it's not at all obvious that we're recording this back-to-back with part one. Uh, This is clearly a different week. We're one week into the future from our last episode. I was astounded by that volcano going off. Uh, Shocking stuff. The death of the Queen of England, um, it's impacted us all. Okay, you can't even say that. Betty White just died. I feel so bad for denigrating the Queen of England in part one, and (laughs) the fact that she died makes me think I have some kind of, like, secret curse powers. Uh, What else happened last week? Um, Kevin Spacey's abusers came back from the grave. That was pretty crazy. Turns out they, they like, faked their deaths the entire time. I thought Haley killed it. Anyways, um, I just saw a video this morning of this woman. She was like, just days after Betty White has died, Maggie Smith was discovered peacefully sleeping in her UK home. And I about had a heart attack. I was like, no, not Maggie Smith. Nah, that's fair. Ah, <laughs> uh, boy. Okay, yeah, so I'm trying to keep the mood light, but let's get back into some abusive behavior. Teach me how to gaslight. Teach me how to gaslight. So last week we went over um, the common myths that are given. Um, just to give a really quick overview, like two-second spark note. Lundy Bancroft works in the one of the first abusive counseling groups for um, abusive men, and he also works with their future, past, and uh, uh, current partners. Um, so he talks a lot about um, myths and uh, that are given to him, excuses why abuse continues in relationships and um, all of that. If you want more information, obviously go back to the last episode. But today we're going to be talking about the types of abusive men and characteristics. So um, before I go into these, he makes it, uh, he, he defines all these men with like a certain nickname, um, but he does mention that all abusive men are different. So we do want to talk about the fact that um, since all abusive men are different, not they don't always just fall into one of these categories. They can take different characteristics from each of these types of abusive men and become their own um, transforming, what is that, uh, shape-shifting type of abusive men. man. So um, let's get right into it. 
the demand man. So this, I'm going to give like some top characteristics of each of these men as he um, describes them in the book. So number one, he's a little sense of give and take. His demands for emotional support favors caretaking or sexual attention are well out of proportion to his contributions. He constantly feels that you owe him things that he has done nothing to earn. Two, he exaggerates and overwhelms his own contributions. If he was generous one day back in 1997, this is a really old book. Oh, boy. You're probably still hearing about it today as proof of how wonderfully he treats you and how ungrateful you are. He seems to keep a mental list of any favors or kindnesses he does and expects each one to be paid back at a very heavy interest. I have friends like this. He thinks you owe him tremendous gratitude for meeting the ordinary responsibilities of daily life when he does, but takes your contributions for granted. Um, You have friends from 1997. Uh, yes, I, I, you know, I was the person in this book they're talking about. Oh, okay. I learned a lot of lessons since I was just a wee tot. Number three, when he doesn't get what he feels is his due, he punishes you for letting him down. Number four, when he is generous or supportive, it's because he feels like it. When he isn't in the mood to give anything, he doesn't. He is positive or loving towards you when he feels the need to prove to himself or to others that he's a good person or when there is something that he's about to demand in return. In other words, it's about him, not you. The longer you have been with him the more his generous seeming actions appear self-serving number five if your needs ever conflict with his he's furious at these times he attacks you as self-centered and inflexible turning reality on its head with statements such as all you care about is yourself he tends to work hard to convince outsiders of how selfish and ungrateful you are speaking in a hurt voice with all the things that he's done for you number two mr right So some general qualities of Mr. Wright that he talks about are uh, you should be in awe of his intelligence and should look up to um, him intellectually. And he knows better than you do, even when uh, even about what's good for you. Your opinions aren't worth listening to carefully or taking taken seriously. The fact that you sometimes disagree with him shows that how sloppy your thinking is. If you just accept what he's he knows is right our relation, your relationship would go much better. Your own life would go better too. Guys, if you watch a lot of like Twitch streams where like sloppily put together men talk about their views on the world, um, this might be you. <laughs> um, th- there's there's this certain culture of like bros talking about like masculinity and gender roles and politics and science and philosophy you know like like joe rogan or jordan peterson um and then a number of smaller lesser youtubers that i won't give unnecessary credit to i don't want i don't know why you're getting credit to any of them well i i guess i'm saying is it's very 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 rare that like anybody has a complete perspective on the state of the world with nuance and like understanding and so if you think that you can somehow absorb all of that and that other people who haven't seen the same sources you've gained all of your enlightenment from haven't and, and they're inferior to you, that's, oh brother, you are not meant to be in a relationship. Uh, approach relationships with the idea that people have things to teach you. Um, understand that there is such a thing as boundaries and that it's possible some may take advantage of your um, openness but yeah, don't don't go in thinking that you know everything and refusing to ever concede stuff. That's just uh, it's uh, it bothers me. Um, when you disagree with him about something, no matter how respectfully or meekly, that's mistreatment of him. If you put down uh, for if I put you if he puts you down for long enough, someday you'll see the water torturer. Central attitudes of the water torturer are: you are crazy, you fly off the handle over nothing, you can easily convince other people that you're the one who's messed up. As long as I'm calm, you can't tell anything I do is abusive, no matter how cruel. I know exactly how to get under your skin. Sounds like a cool dude. The drill sergeant. This seems like a, like a team of like commandos in a 1980s action movie. I'm Mr. Right. I'm the drill sergeant. <laughs> I want to now put together a spec script where all these people have to go like fight rebels in some far-flung country and have to, like, compete with each other's varying personality quirks. It'll be like uh, Predator, where it's a bunch of manly men doing manly men things, but, like, all of them are horribly abusive. I was going to say, like, Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, also like that. (laughs) 
Predator and Powerpuff Girls actually uh, were both based off the Shakespeare play, uh, Two Gentlemen of Verona. I don't know if you know that. If you didn't listen to our first episode, that's a callback. It's much funnier than you might think. The central attitudes driving the Joel Sargent are, I need to control your every move or you, uh, or you will do it wrong. I know the exact way that everything should be done. You shouldn't have any um, anyone else or anything else in your life besides me. I'm going to watch you like a hawk or keep you from developing strength or independence. And I love you more than anyone in the world, but you disgust me. That's like the main character in My Little Pony. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Mr. Sensitive. You seem to be hurting his feelings constantly, even though you aren't sure why. And he expects your attention to be focused endlessly on his emotional injuries. God, I've been in this relationship before. If you are in a bad mood one day and say something unfair or insensitive, it won't be enough for you to tell Oh my God. Or give him an insincere apology or accept responsibility. He'll go on and on about it, accepting you to grovel as if you've treated him with profound cruelty. When your feelings are hurt, on the other hand, he will insist on brushing over it quickly. He may give you a stream of pop psychology language. Just let the feelings go through you. Don't hold on to them so much. Or all it's all in the attitude you take towards life or no one can hurt you unless you let them to substitute for genuine support for your feelings, especially if you are upset with something he did. None of these philosophies applies when you upset him. However, I am recalling, I think our first current events episode, we were discussing Amazon or that's like porta potty meditation chambers. Yeah. And it's like, we understand there are horrible (laughs) conditions that make our employees want to commit suicide. But have you consider like inhaling some like, balsa wood burning balsa wood scent inside a porta potty as relaxing music plays i thought it was balsam balsam sure uh, no you're probably yeah you're right you're right um i, I guess the point i'm getting <laughs> well, well, that's is that's got what i got hung up on yeah there's a lot of similarities between the abusive tactics partners may use where they brush your feelings aside and the abusive tactics corporations use when they brush your feelings aside holla Number three, with the passing of time, he especially casts the blame on you for anything he is dissatisfied with in his own life. Your burden of guilt reading of this keeps growing. Shut up. (laughs) Four, he starts to exhibit a mean side that no one else ever sees and may even become threatening or intimidating. I feel like this is story time. The player. Ooh, the player. The player is often good looking and often sexy. He knows how to make each woman feel that she's the special one, and yet at the same time keeps her off balance so that she never quite feel, she never is quite, blah, blah, blah. she never feels quite sure of where she stands with him. I know you're dissatisfied with my reading of this. I'm sorry. I was gonna cut that out, and I'm like, that was awfully present. <laughs> she, In fairness to <laughs> Naomi, she had teeth removed the other day. <laughs> it was on like an angle. It was really weird. So now my sutures are like, Ugh. it's so weird. She tells each one, oh, it's bleeding. (laughs) She tells each one (laughs) that the others are lying about their involvements with him because they are jealous of her or because he turned them down or because he used to be involved with them but isn't anymore. This is like every alpha male guide I've ever seen. It's like, here's how you be alpha. (laughs) Alpha, like a wolf. Wolf's in captivity, that is. He's chronically infidel. Wait, is it chronic? It's chronic infidelity, but what if it's infidel? It, what is that? <laughs> He's a chronic infidel, taking the Lord's name in vain, not praying multiple times a day towards Mecca. If, ladies, if your partner is exhibiting these traits, get rid of them. Make sure you find yourself a pious holy man. I hate this. <laughs> you want me to take over? No. I'll be honest. No, what's the what's the word that I'm looking for? Infidelity. <laughs> yeah, but like if you're, it's not infertile. <laughs> I don't know now. <laughs> it's not infidelity. It's not infidelity. It's not infertile. It's not infidelity. What's the noun that I'm looking for? Uh, for what action? <laughs> infidelity. Um, cheating. Okay. <laughs> He's a chronic cheater. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there we go. Two, he tells each one that the others are lying about the... Oh, I already read that. Three, I'm doing a terrible job. Deep breath. He tells each one stories about how other women have mistreated him or shares other bits of information largely invented to make previous or current women in his life sound conniving, vindictive, or addicted to substances. Four, he breaks up with women and gets back together with them so that no one can keep track of what's going on. 
Five, he includes one or two women in his circle who feel unattractive because he knows he can have more power over them and manipulates them into hating the women who are seen as more attractive. That's a very interesting tactic, breaking up with people and then getting back together with them so that other people in their life and maybe your own life don't know what's going on. It'd be like, oh, you know, Kat, me and Kathy are hanging out the other day. What do, you, what do you mean? I thought you broke up with Kathy. No, 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 we've been back together. What are you talking about? Uh, It's interesting because it like throws people off balance where before they had a clear perception of like what the relationship was like and now they're a little confused. And so I I would argue they would then interpret anything else weird they heard about the relationship and be like, maybe I don't have a good handle on like what they're like. Yeah. So that's interesting. Sort of muddying the waters of relationship status so that people who may feel uncomfortable if you bring up certain things. Or may like spread like facts like oh i thought that ali and aj got back together mm. but they didn't and i that whatever you're telling me is about to be false yeah so that people don't talk about it now i've been a part of that firsthand Great. rambo <clears throat> strengths and aggressiveness are good compassion and conflict resolution are bad anything that could be remotely associated with homosexuality including walking away from possible violence or showing any fear or grief has been avoided at any cost what's interesting too is that like everyone misinterprets Rambo, including the Rambo series itself. Like the first Rambo movie is about a guy kind of going like crazy in a small town and like terrorizing the small town. That's because he was abused by the sheriff's department. And then at the end of the film, it's revealed that like, oh, the reason he's doing all of this is because he was horribly traumatized by toxic masculinity and needing to senselessly kill people in Vietnam. I think it was Vietnam. Um, And so like the message of the film is, yeah, it turns out toxic masculinity causes people to do horrible things, and maybe we need to create cultures that don't encourage that kind of behavior. But then every other film in this series is like, no, 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 Rambo is this huge badass, and he murdered a bunch of people, and Rambo, we need you to be a badass and murder more people. And he's like, yeah, And he never walks away from a fight. Yeah. So I I don't know. I think it's interesting that it's called Rambo when I would argue the original message of Rambo was don't be that thing. Food for thought. Food for thought. Femaleness and femininity, which he associates with homosexuality, are inferior. Women are here to serve men and can be protected by them. And be protected by them, sorry. Men should never hit women because it is unmanly to do so. However, exceptions to this rule can be made for his own partner if her behavior is bad enough. Men need to keep their women in line. You are a thing that belongs to him, akin to a trophy. The victim. Ooh. If you listen carefully, you often can hear the difference between anger towards an ex-partner, which would be not be worrisome in itself, and the disrespect or contempt, which should raise warning flags. A man who has left a relationship with bitterness should nonetheless be able to talk about his ex-partner as a human being with some understanding of what side of of the conflicts was, of what her side of the conflicts was, in some ways might he might have contributed to what went wrong if he speaks in degrading or superior ways about her or makes everything that went wrong in the relationship her fault be careful because it's likely that he is the abusive one i think this is really interesting because a lot of the time i hear from people that like i'm dating or like i'm going i like i'm interested in like going long term with i hear like oh my ex-girlfriend is so crazy i'm like okay why and they try to explain and i'm like okay but what part did you play in this like um she thinks that you were cheating so she was constantly yelling at you were you texting other women were you actually cheating on her were you giving her any doubts in the relationship was there a genuine emotional connection that you just weren't giving to her um a lot of things play into it and i think that a lot of the time in my generation i don't know if this is true about yours because obviously we were born so far apart um But a lot of the time, women are labeled as crazy for wanting basic respect and wanting to communicate as human beings. And obviously, this isn't always true, but a lot of the times women are labeled as the crazy ones because um, they ask for basic needs. Yeah, you know, I I think there's this stereotype where women jump to conclusions and, you know, they come with all these crazy elaborate explanations. Yeah. You you see, you know, Cosmopolitan and it's like on the front, 10 ways to know for sure if he's cheating on you. And, you know, these stupid elaborate tests that don't actually prove anything. But one might argue the reason women fall prey to that kind of stuff 
is because their partner just won't talk to them. Yeah. The partner won't explain things that, if they're acting on the up and up, should be perfectly normal. Yeah. Here's one good example. Okay. I have multiple cell phones. Yeah, that's right. Kind of weird. That could be kind of a weird thing. Joel, explain someone, why you have multiple cell phones and not just. Get I have several work cell phones. There we go. Yeah, I, I have a variety of different phone numbers. Um, I have some old cell phones I'm keeping around the house that I should probably bring to an electronics like supplier. But I think that recycled. you have given Lauren, his girlfriend, um, go check out that episode if you haven't already. Um, enough security in the relationship. You've given her enough. Um, you've fed her enough emotionally that yeah. she is aware that she's the only person in your life. I would hope so. But only I guess, women that he's affectionately after. He, she's not the only one person in his life. This is true. <laughs> There's one person in my life. There's it's no one Lauren. else. I have facial blindness, so I only see Lawrence when I'm out and about. Uh, How no. about me inside? Yeah, thank you. So, so I guess what I'm getting at is there's stuff like that which in many cases might be a red flag Yeah, that you could easily solve so easily if you just communicated to your partner and said, hey, this is the situation and here's yeah. why it is. Um, but so many men don't do that. They treat the woman as stupid or crazy and, you know, for, for wanting to know like basic facts about their partner. And so like the fact they turn towards these, you know, shitty publications that take advantage of their insecurities kind of makes sense. And until like men are willing to openly communicate with their partners, it's going to continue to happen. Number two, try to get him to talk about his own conduct in the relationship, especially around the time of the breakup. If he blames his own behavior on her, that's a bad sign. Three, be particularly careful with a man who claims to have been the victim of physical violence by a previous female partner. The great majority of men who make the, such claims are physical abusers. Ask him for as much detail as he can about the violent instance, and then talk to her or seek out anyone else who can give you a different perspective on what happened. Four, pay attention to how he talks and thinks about abused women. A genuine male victim tends to feel sympathy for abused women and support their cause. The victim, on the other hand, often says that the women exaggerate or fabricate their claims of abuse or insists that men are abused just as much as women are. Ooh, the terrorist. This is a, an action film from the 80s. Yeah. The central attitudes to driving the terrorists are you might... You have no right to defy or leave me. Your life is in my hands. Women are evil and have to be kept terrorized to prevent that evil from coming forth. I'd rather die than accept your right to independence. The children are one of the best tools I can use to make you fearful. Seeing you terrified is exciting and satisfying. The mentally ill or addicted abuser is the last one. And some central points that I want to go over. There's six main ones. Certain mental illnesses can increase the chance that an abuser can be dangerous or physically violent. These include a paranoia, severe depression, delusions, or hallucinations, psychosis, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, and antisocial personality disorder, also known as psycho psycho psychopathy and sociopathy. These psychiatric conditions also make it next to impossible for an abuser to change, at least until the mental illness has been brought under control through therapy and or medication, which can take years. Even if the mental illness is properly treated, his abusiveness won't necessarily change. Two, an abuser's reaction to going on and off medication are unpredictable. A woman should take extra precautions for her safety at such a time. Abusers tend to go off medication before long. I have had many clients. This is Bundy talking. Bundy. Oh my God, Bancroft talking. I think it's because his, I just can't do it. This is Bancroft talking. I've had few clients who are consistent and responsible about taking their meds in the long term. They don't like the side effects and they are too selfish to, take, uh, to care about the implications of the mental illness on their partners or children. Three, the potential danger of a mental abuser has to be assessed by looking at the severity of his psychiatric symptoms in combination with the severity of his abuse characteristics. Looking at his psychiatric symptoms alone can lead to under underestimated can lead to underestimating how dangerous he is. Four, antisocial personality disorder is present in only a small percentage of abusers, but can be important. Those who suffer from those conditions lack conscience and thus are repeatedly involved in behaviors that are harmful to others. Some signs of this condition include A, he started going into illegal behavior when he was a teenager. B his dishonest or aggressive behavior involves situations unrelated to his partner rather than being restricted to her. C, he periodically gets into trouble at workplace, workplaces or in 
other contexts for stealing, threatening, or refusing to follow instructions, and is likely to have considerable criminal record by about age 30, though the offenses, the offenses may be largely minor ones. D, he is severely and chronically irresponsible in a way that disrupts the lives of others and creates danger. E, he tends to cheat on women a lot, turn them against each other, and maintain shallow relationships with them. The psychopaths Whew. The psychopath's physical violence is not necessarily severe, contrary to popular uh, to the popular image, but he may be da- very dangerous nonetheless. Antisocial personality disorder is very difficult to change through therapy, and there's no effective medication for treating it. It is highly compatible with abusiveness towards women. Five, those who suffer from narcissistic personality disorder have a highly distorted self-image. They're unable to accept that they might have faults and therefore are unable to imagine how other people perceive them. This condition is highly compatible with abusiveness, though it is present in only a small percentage of abusive men. Clues to the presence of this disorder include A, your partner's self-centeredness is severe and it carries over into situations that don't involve you. B, he seems to relate everything back to himself. C, he is outraged whenever anyone criticizes him and is incapable of considering what he could ever do to, he could ever be anything other than kind and generous this disorder is highly resistant to therapy and is not treated treatable by medication this is as of 2002 i don't know if this is still relevant the abuser with this disorder is now able to change substantially through an abuser program either um not able to change substantially through an abuser program either although he sometimes makes some minor improvements and six finally some uh, many abusers were not mentally ill and want women to think they are in order to avoid responsibility for their attitudes and behaviors so i am going to start working on a spec script for a film that stars all of these different characters what is there like set no, there's 10 there's 10 there's Dang. 10 of them but i'm also feeling this is like an intj test where it's like, take this test to figure out what type of abuser you're most likely to be. And now I want there to be like a BuzzFeed quiz where you can figure out what abuser you're No, but like I mentioned before, you can have different characteristics from each of these 10 different types of abusers. Yeah, I I think it's... hmm. You don't just fit one characteristic. Right, right. I I guess what I'm getting at is, if you're concerned, because I I can see some characteristics in here of the long list you've just read where I'm like, I kind of sometimes do things like that. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, people should be listening to this list and trying to identify, you know, whether or not they're an abuser. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you do, well. I think this is kind of like when you have psych class and you're like, oh, I have bipolar disorder. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, I I guess what I'm getting at is if you want to be an effective partner, I feel it's important to recognize areas where you're failing and not recognizing you need to improve. And so it would be helpful to have some kind of resource where it could walk you through this and be like, hey, um, do you ever, you know, exhibit controlling characteristics like, you know, this? Do you ever exhibit a disregard for their feelings? Do you ever exhibit kind of a controlling personality characteristic? And then give you tips on how to, like, improve. Um, I, I don't think any of these things can't be like unlearned or untrained. Again, people probably do that because they've found it so useful in their past relationships and like they don't see a reason to stop. But if they, they do recognize that they've been a bad person in the past um, and they would like to change, it would be helpful having resources that allow them uh, to move away from those behaviors. Um, something that's really helped my current relationship is, um, and I didn't even ask him to do this, but once a week he texts me and he's like, how can I either help you or like, how can I do better? And so I feel like that's like an effective way to like, really, if you're not the type of person to come forward and be like, Hey, this is an issue with me. Um, maybe do that and practice that with your partner. And, um, if you're not the type of person to come forward and talk about conflict head on. Yeah, um, you know, there was a period of time, like, post-college where I'd text people in my life and be like, hey, how you doing this week? You know, anything stressing you out? Uh, you, you never know, just... did that with me. Never. Yeah, it's true. Never. Because my sister seems to have it all put together, you know? Ugh, obviously, except for my tooth. She, you're, you're wearing, like, like a leather, like a fur coat, and you It's have... just because it feels like a blanket, and it's really cold in here. You got, like, a Paris Hilton look going right now. I don't know if I like that or not. Can you finish your thought? I'm really sorry. I feel I finished my thought. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, okay. like, a, a resource that kind of explored these would be more helpful, but also a action-packed movie where the drill sergeant leads Rambo, the player, but I the think, victim, yeah, the terrorist. But I think in these, in this movie, it needs to have just the characteristics specifically of these people. Like, it can't take other characteristics from other, like, 
No, yeah, I, I totally yeah. agree. So yeah. each each has to embody like the worst yeah. aspects of these like exactly. specific groups, exactly. and they have to all play off each other, and you know somehow like leverage that. Oh, but a fun twist might be they yeah. have like a top secret mission that they need to carry out. Okay, and by the end of the film, all of their toxic masculinity and abusive behavior has caused the team to fall apart, and Damn. they aren't able to accomplish whatever they like, sucks to suck. Yeah. Um, I, I can picture like half of the major plot points in this film beat by beat. This thing practically writes itself. It's great. Uh, anyways, so we're going to stop this podcast and start writing movie scripts yeah. based off of right now, um, this minute, <laughs> generally, uh, feminist messages, uh, at the end of the film, um, a, a influential high powered female character is going to come on and lecture for 20 minutes mm-hmm. about the, the, the importance of working together. Is it team. Oprah? <laughs> Oprah will play a starring. Oprah will play the role of uh, Amanda Walters in the uh, the Suicide Squad films. Okay, yeah, 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 she'll be like the lead, and yeah. she'll be like commenting on it the entire time. Yeah. it'll be great. This is going to be an amazing film. Really. So let's talk about how abuse begins. And um, Bancroft explains that almost always there's a nice guy facade. I mentioned this early. That's put up early on in the relationship um, by an abuser. Um, but let's be clear. You could just be dating a nice guy. But here are some characteristics. He says these are early signs that are involved with an abuser. And let's be clear, not one of these signs. Like, if you take one of these signs, um, like, just a singular one, you're like, oh, he's abusive because he only showed this sign. Yeah. Um, Doesn't necessarily mean he's um, an abuser. But um, we'll talk about how to. It can be abusive behavior. Yes. So even if someone is not, quote, unquote, an abuser, it's still behavior that needs to be tamped down. Yeah. And we will talk about how to um, how to clear up some boundaries pretty early right after I go through these 15 signs that he could be an abuser. Sorry, 15 early signs that he may be involved in an abuser. Number one, he speaks disrespectfully of, a former, of his former partners. Two, he is disrespectful towards you. Three, he does do favors for you that you did not ask for, slash did not want, or puts on a show of generosity that makes you feel uncomfortable. So I came up with an example. He does like a huge favor for you after a couple of dates that you don't want him to go out of his way for. Um, so let's just say you live in a place where it snows and you've been on a couple of dates with him and he's like, hey, I'm going to come over and shovel your driveway. And you're like, no, 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 you don't need to do that. Like, you don't know how you feel about him. You don't want to lead him on. So he um, but he comes over and does it anyways. And um, he makes you feel as if you owe him something in return. Yeah, I, I think that's the important distinction. There's a relationship where someone is going out of their way to do nice things to their partner because yeah. they care about them, want them to be happy, secure, um, successful, whatever. And then there's the relationship where they do the thing and the thing is meant to give them leverage over the partner, which as you talked about previously, they can then utilize in future arguments. Being like, how dare you accuse me of cheating on you with my 18 work phones? I can't believe you would say such a thing. Don't you remember that time in 1997 (laughs) I shoveled your driveway? It Uh, wasn't even snowing, but I shoveled it. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty easy given how little (laughs) snow was on the ground, but I still came out and did it. Number four, he's controlling. What is controlling behavior, Naomi? Um, let, oh, that's a really personal one. Um, controlling behavior. Let's, I can give some examples. Go ahead, yeah, yeah. Um, in my mind, controlling behavior is wanting constant updates on where you are yes. and who you're with. I was going to use that as an example, but yeah. it was way too personal of an example. <laughs> Sometimes asking that you install an app on your phone. Yeah, to, to track, track Or what is it, find my Find friends my friends on, on I, the iPhone. I, yeah. See, the thing is, okay, here, here's, here's what I decided. In several of my past relationships, no, in one of my past relationships that I had, I gave my location to the other person. They had my location. It became an obsession where that person used to check my location. Um, I no longer share my location with my partner. I only think it is necessary if you guys live together and you're like, hey, can you stop by the store? I saw you're near the store. Go pick up yeah. some bread. I, I, I would, I mean, there's certain apps which allow you to set geofences, and when someone's in an area, you can get an alert and be like, oh, yeah. they're next to the grocery store. That's cool. But I think it becomes like an obsessive thing where you start checking their location. You're like, oh, he's at her house. He's obviously cheating on me, sure. blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah. Other example that I think would be helpful is, you know, when you're traveling abroad, it's really helpful knowing where your partner is so you can, you know, not get lost in cities and not, you know, have their kidney stolen or whatever. When Joel was in uh, Greece, I tracked his location and uh, it was really cool because I saw like within I think it was like within 25 feet I know where he was it's pretty cool I don't like that at all uh okay but back to controlling behavior yeah um I, I would say trying to 
make decisions for you. Yes. Um, so, you know, people who order for you at the restaurant. Um, she wants a chicken burrito, no cheese. I do kind of want that now. And I'm vegetarian. <laughs> um, and, and I think this can manifest in a couple of ways. It can be like, I want to order you the most expensive thing on the menu and I will. Yeah. And this again, puts you in a position of weakness where you're like, uh, he did me this big favor. I don't know what I'm supposed to do to react. Yes. And, or alternatively, he's like, I'm going to have the extra large Mac and cheese with toasted breadcrumbs. And she's going to have the side salad and it's like controlling weight. Um, but basically, it's things that take away your autonomy, that take away your ability to have, like, a sense of privacy. Because I think even in relationships, you need a degree of privacy to, like, process things, understand things about yourself. Um, you know, e- at times, you even just want to vent about your partner. And I think that's important to have that opportunity to do so. And I think people exhibiting controlling behavior don't want to ever give you that opportunity. Yeah. Because they recognize sometimes their behavior can be construed as bad, as we discussed earlier. He doesn't think so, but he knows society will think He knows so. society doesn't think it's good. Number five, he's possessive. A good example of this is um, you cannot have any male friends because he thinks that every single male wants to get into your pants. Um, and I'm sorry. I saw a meme the other day, which was a Google search result, and it was callers for dot, 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 and the autofill was collars for women followed by collars for dogs <laughs> and then i think the tweet was like this says a lot about society yeah um number six nothing is ever his fault number seven he's self-centered number eight he abuses drugs or alcohol number nine he pressures you for sex go check out our consent episode hyping up our other episodes this episode so you mean to tell me if a guy is six feet tall makes seventy five thousand dollars a year <laughs> he has two vehicles chad alpha has yeah. two vehicles and a penthouse apartment in i'm not gonna say san francisco san jose dang um you 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 are still able to resist his advances you still have the right to do so yes oh okay uh i'm gonna have to go re-listen to that consent episode <laughs> number 10 he gets serious too quickly about the relationship Number 11, he intimidates, he, wow, wow. He intimidates you when he's angry. Number 12, he has double standards. Number 13, he has negative attitudes towards women. Number 14, he treats you differently around other people. Number 15, he appears to be attracted to vulnerability. So no single Mm. warning sign, what? (laughs) Oh, I love those, uh, those women who seem helpless and easy to prey upon. It's like a like a lion circling a pack of zebras, one of which is limping. I don't like that image. I think it's great to be vulnerable around your partner. I don't like when they capitalize on your vulnerability and there's an unstable power dynamic. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, you know, that's kind of the problem with a lot of uh, student-teacher relationships. We will talk about this later in when is it abuse section. No single warning sign is a sign of abuse, but here's some ways to put up clear boundaries early. So this is a three-step process. Number one, make it clear to him as soon as possible which behaviors or attitudes are unacceptable to you and that cannot be in a relationship with him and that you cannot be in a relationship with him if they continue. Two, if it happens again, stop seeing him for a substantial period of time. Don't keep seeing him with the warning that you will say you really mean it because he will probably interpret that as that like you won't really, you don't really mean it. And the third step in this is if it happens a third time or if he switches to other behaviors that are warning flags, changes are great that he has, chances are great that he has an abuse problem. And if you give him too many chances, you are likely to grow it later. So Joel, let's, do you have anything? Oh, I was going to say, you know, in the gift of fear, they talk about ways of dealing with like stalkers. And one of the big things they've found is don't respond to them. Don't don't keep contacting them. If they send you messages, put them on a red, block them on all accounts. Um, take a number of permanent measures to prevent them from following up with you. Because a lot of stalkers really do believe deep down that when someone says they don't want to see them again, it's a temporary thing. It's not like a permanent condition. And so you need to dispel every illusion from their mind that there's a chance you'll get back together. Uh, and often I would say you need to dispel illusions from your mind that you're not going to get back together. Cause I think a lot of people for a variety of reasons might get back together with abusive partners for, you know, again, logical reasons that make sense to them at the time. And so it's important to also make it clear to yourself, to your personality, to, to your 
cognition, understanding of the world, that you're in a state where you don't plan to ever do this again. And I think two weeks later, after you deleted all the accounts, and you're like, well, was it really so bad? And, you know, the, 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 the red flags are no longer as prominent in your mind. It um, is very helpful to look back and say, oh, I did block them on all these accounts. It's going to take so much time to, you know, re-enable this. And I don't know. Now I'm having second thoughts about whether or not it's a good idea. Yeah, I don't know how, um, like, factual this is but I was told by someone recently that um when you get out of a long-term relationship you your mind kind of like lets go of all like the bad parts of the relationship and only focuses on the good parts um and so something that's really helped me was um literally making a giant list of everything that were red flags in the relationship and every time that I'm like oh maybe I should text him or something I look at the list so this is a weird thing but do you think it'd be helpful to maybe share that with a close friend and be like, look, if I ever talk about this. Oh, again, I did. Okay. Yeah. 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 Already been done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So for our listeners, I'd suggest doing something similar. You know, if look, people can make bad choices when they're angry all the time. And uh, on the other hand, they can make good decisions when, you know, all of the frustration they have at their partner boils up and they're finally like enough is enough. And so it's, I think it's worth preserving kind of the things you're thinking when you're angry in some capacity, when you're upset, when you're scared, mm-hmm. writing that down somewhere. And you can look back and say, oh, maybe that was influenced by anger and fear. But I think having another person look at it and say, oh, that seems really bad and provide that kind of support is important. And I think that's especially true when everybody else sees that person as like, oh, he's such a nice guy. And like, blah, oh, blah. that's that's true as well. Yeah. So next thing we're going to talk about is when is it abuse? So abuse is about power. I've mentioned this before, and it be it means that a person is taking advantage of a power imbalance that exploits or controls someone else. Wherever power imbalances exist, such as between men and women or adults and children or rich and poor, some people will take advantage of those circumstances for their own purposes. So ways that it can be abusive Let's talk about it. There's 12 Okay, ways. the way this is structured reminds me of the song That's Amore. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, it's amore. Okay, if yeah, he it'll denies make- <laughs> what he did and he's a horrible person, it's abuse. Yeah, it'll make more sense in like two seconds when I actually say the first thing and then I'll say it's abuse. Um, number one, if he retaliates against you for complaining about his behavior, it's abuse. If he retaliates against you for complaining about its abuse. If he tells you your objections to his mistreatment are your own problem, it's abuse. That was number two, thank you. Number three, if he gives you apologies that sound insincere or angry and he demands that you accept them, it's abuse. Number four, if he blames you for the impact of his behavior, it's abuse. Number five, if it's never the right time or right way to bring things up, it's abuse. Number six, if he undermines your progress in life, Number seven, if he denies what he did. Number eight, if he justifies his hurtful or frightening acts or says that you made him do it. Number nine, if he touches you in anger or puts you in fear in other ways. Number 10, if he coerces you into having sex or sexually assaulting you. Number 11, if he's controlling, disrespectful, or degrading, behaviors are a pattern. Number 12, if he shows signs of being abused. If you show signs, whoa, if you show signs of being abused. So something that we haven't really gone over and I'm not going to go over into a great detail because we do have an entire episode about consent um, that I because I just want to touch on this because this is literally an entire chapter in this book. It's called. Uh, so let's talk about sex and abusers. So there's not every this is not every abuser, but there are some characteristics that can come out in less obvious ways in abusers. So um, let's talk about abusive sexual uh, sexual abuse that happens that are characteristic. What am I trying to say? It doesn't have to be the main focus, though. So, um, number one, sex is for him. Um, number two, he f- thinks that she owes him sex. Number three, sex is ways to is a way to establish power and dominance. Number four, he sees her as a sexual object. So, um, and, and I think this applies even in non heteronormative relationships. Yes, there are women who assault women. There are men who assault men. Um, yeah, and, and it generally stems, I think, from a disregard for the other's bodily autonomy and their desires, right? The main focus of their life needs to be that person. 
It needs to be entirely focused on them. And if they fail to fall through in any capacity, they have the ability to take what they want. So something that I did want to mention, because this podcast is about getting vulnerable while well, I'm making it about getting vulnerable. So let's get vulnerable. In one of my past relationships, um, it seemed as if when I wasn't having sex for whatever reason, and it wasn't all the way consensual, uh, my boyfriend at the time would uh, think that if we weren't having sex for a couple weeks at a time, keep in mind I only sound once or twice a week, um, that you were having sex with other men. I yeah. was having sex with other men. Actually, yeah, that is true. And I was cheating on him. Which so Naomi was. Then Let's that be clear. did. She had a whole harem of. Why did you say that? I was not. Um, it was because I was on a very hormonal birth control at the time and I had no sex drive at the time and I didn't want to be touched and I didn't want to be like talked to and I had literally had ups and downs that were crazy. So, um, that gave me some sort of like Catholic guilt in a sense that I had to have sex with him every single time I saw him or he'd think that I was cheating on him, which has bled into other relationships. So go seek out therapy, guys. Boy, um, now I feel bad for, for making that job. Vulnerability. <laughs> yeah. So the making of an abusive man, and I'm going to go through this quickly because there are a lot of things that feed into um, abusive men, but let's go over Abuse has everything to do with values and beliefs, and it has little to do with psychological problems. So beliefs and values come from the family that he grows he grows up in, the neighborhood, the TV he watches, the jokes he hears, the messages that he receives from the toys that he's given, and the most influential male role models that he has. So me personally, I'm a big believer that like when I'm thinking about dating someone, I'm like, I, I look at their friends and I'm like, okay, who does this person surround themselves with? Um, do they surround themselves with um, amazing, uplifting um, people that I would enjoy being around or does he hang around a bunch of misogynistic a-holes that aren't nice and don't treat everyone with respect and kindness. That, that, that of course is just a just a crazy made up uh, you know example Naomi of course is not rooting that in fact we're not making any accusations. God I, I would mean, love to name someone right now but I can't. Yeah. Um, so oh, I, I, I'm also thinking that like this kind of goes into the importance of having lots and lots of male teachers because a lot of young men don't have good male role models in their lives. The most male role models they have are action movie stars, sports players, maybe like a wrestling coach or a football coach or something. Um, and, and so if the role models you have all exhibit misogynistic, semi-violent tendencies and the things that they teach, like in school, stem around violence and dominance, like in football... I, I think you're going to come out having some interestingly skewed conceptions of what masculinity is and what the role of a man should be. Um, I have a real issue with, I think that everyone should have more male teacher or that men should have more male teachers because I've, the, the vast majority of the male teachers that I had turned out to be pedophiles that I had in high school. So Fair point, fair point. <laughs> okay, so uh, non-pedophile male teachers. <laughs> got it, got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, far yeah. between. Um, so let's talk about they culture. they got to stop hiring from the Catholic Church. That was their big problem. I'm just going to disregard that statement. <laughs> so let's talk about culture that feeds into abuse. Laws and legal systems have colluded with the abuse of women. So a good example that I gave was, uh, wow, I really just fed into that. Roe v. Wade, government having an opinion on reproductive rights. Religious beliefs that have often been condoned, the uh, that have often condoned the abuse of women. For example, in Genesis, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and like inception. In sorrow thou shalt... In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. I said shat. <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> thou shat forth children. Um, popular performance both reflect, popular performers both reflect and shape social attitudes. So the example that he was giving was Eminem and Kim, which was <laughs> such a 2002 example. Um, oh God, uh, who was it? Uh, who, Beyonce and... Uh, Jay-Z. Jay-Z, yeah. The fact that she wrote an entire album about him cheating on her and then she stayed with him. Uh, was it Beyonce who was brutally beaten? Oh, no, that was Rihanna. Rihanna, and there we go. Chris Brown. Yes, there we go. Yeah. And the fact that Chris Brown still has a career in the industry, yep. a very successful career in the industry, yep. is cool and good. Yep. And I think, unfortunately, also goes to how 
society can support abusive individuals, where all this stuff is a matter of public record. It'd be very difficult to not have heard of this, but you have all these fanatic fans who are like, no, it's totally okay. I wish you'd abuse me or whatever. Or it's like he stepped out of the spotlight for a couple of years and then he like came back and everyone just magically forgot about everything. Yeah. Every so often those pictures of her, like like the picture, like the mm-hmm. face come up and they like resurface, but it's nothing like as much as it was in 2008 when it first came out and it was like all over. Like, yeah, it, it goes to this idea that the abuse of women can be easily shoved under the rug, minimized, not taken seriously. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's frustrating. Popular plays and movies romanticize the abuse of women. We went over this in the first. Well, can we come up with any more examples? I'm trying to think. So like, mean. um, when Harry met Sally. Never seen that movie. Never seen that movie. Okay, okay. Um, uh, we discussed... Ten Things I Hate, things about, I hate you about You. And uh, how to what, lose what's the plot of uh, Ten Things I Hate About You? Um, basically, he... Keith Ledger's character. Keith Ledger. Um, makes gets into some kind of arrangement where he has to Make get a, girl a fall in love with him, an, an older sister in a family to fall in love with him, so that the younger sister can date, so a younger yes. guy can take the younger yes. sister out to prom. Yes, and he's, he's being paid or something. Yeah, and the the older sister is what we might call a two thousands feminist stereotype. She's very opinionated. I think she was written pretty well, from what I recall. Very the film. angsty, but yeah, like very opinionated, always picking fights. Very very like aggressive and like Heath Ledger's whole like goal was to like rein her in, you know, like a bucking Bronco. Yeah. And then um, he ends up, she ends up falling for him. And then he's like, psych bitch. bitch. I was doing it for the money, <laughs> but it's don't, don't worry. Cause at the end of the film, he wins her back by purchasing her a guitar. I don't it's remember. A, it was something expensive. I recall. So yeah, like a, like a great film, wonderful role models. Um, the other film, I guess we were talking about last episode was uh, how to lose a guy in, uh, Oh yeah. How to lose. Days. Yeah. And that was Matthew, Matthew McConaughey and, and Gwen Pal- Gwyneth Paltrow. Was it Gwyneth Paltrow? Yeah. Okay. Um, it, it's this convoluted plot, and like it, it feels like the first draft of a script because I saw that film in the last year, and none of it landed for me. No, it's not Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, it was another it's Kate early Kate Hudson. Oh, Kate Hudson. Okay, so the basic premise is Kate Hudson works at like a women's magazine and wants to write real An article stuff yeah. about the big issues because that's what the readers are looking for, I yep. guess. And his boss is like, sure, sure, you can do whatever you want. You just have to write this article. This is the article called How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. You have to come up with all these like absurd scenarios that will no doubt allow women to lose their guys in 10 days. But it's like a parody, like here's what not to do. Um, and of course, she's a she's a real writer, so she has to actually do this rather than just you know lying. Like yeah. a lot of you know people yep. write in a situation yep. where they were mature and adults. Yep. And meanwhile, Matthew McConaughey's character is an ad executive trying to get a diamond account from I think De Beers, which probably financed this whole film. Come to think of it, because boy, they make a big deal out of like diamonds. It being important uh, parts of relationships. And so in order to convince the ad executives that he knows about women, he has to prove he can seduce any woman in the world. And they just, by mysterious chance, decide that Kate Hudson is the person that he has to seduce. Um, And so, like, it's a relationship where they're both constantly gaslighting each other, trying to get the... Well, no, no, that's not true. He's trying to get her as close as possible, and she's gaslighting him the entire time with relatively innocuous pranks. And it's... Written to be funny, but frankly, it's more of like, why would you put up with this? Like, there's ways of getting around this entire scenario that don't involve you having to put up with this shit. Like, seriously, he could just approach Kate Hudson and say, if you pretend you're madly in love with me, I'll give you a thousand bucks. Just spend an evening with me at a fancy party and all will be good. And then they have a huge public blowout on stage and oh my God. But it turns out they do care about each other. And so he chases after her. She like a week after her magazine article is rejected. It's like on a bridge. Yeah, he drives his motorcycle and forces the entire traffic to shut down, like Chris Christie shutting down traffic on New York bridges. It's a frustrating film because none of the plot makes sense because they fail to communicate so many times. And it sets some really weird precedents where it's like, yeah, relationships built on deceit and half-truths will work out invariably, I guess, if you're as attractive as Matthew McConaughey. I, I don't really know how I feel about the film. Now besides- he's just in <laughs> <laughs> I used to abuse women before abusing women was cool. 
Um, that's my only impression of the, the one diamond quote I like looked up. I was like, how to lose a guy in 10 days diamond slogan. And the one diamond quote I found was a diamond is no one night stand. A diamond is a long-term commitment. That's <laughs> a long-term commitment. I'm trying to think of other romantic comedies that have like abusive behavior and none of them are coming to mind probably cause I don't watch a lot of them. Yeah. What, what about that kissing booth series we've joked oh, about watching? God. <laughs> yeah. He was like, he's literally has like literally every single type of abusive behavior in the book. Like he's very possessive. He's very controlled rolling he like it uh shows very violent behavior he makes her scared because of his violent outbursts he yells at her um i'm literally just naming every single i'm thinking of twilight where it's like i'm a thousand year old vampire and And you're you're a teenage girl i am more attracted to you than anyone else in the world also i could kill you at any point Uh, and we can never have sex because it would kill you but if you became a vampire it would all be good and that's kind of interesting it's like it's like that cool girl monologue from Gone Girl. Oh my God, we need to watch Gone Girl and discuss Gone Girl. Uh, the premise of Gone Girl is uh, Ben Affleck's character is Affleck. accused of murdering his wife. And um, I, I won't dig too much into spoilers, but there is a monologue halfway through the film where his wife is like reflecting on like how much she hates a lot of modern relationships. And one example she gives is the example of the cool girl, the girl who adopts all the personality traits of their partner in order to appease them and make them happy. So, you know, if that the, the partner they want to date, you know, has tattoos is in a band, they're going to be covered in tattoos and piercings. And if the, uh, the guy enjoys sports, she's going to be wearing jerseys and, you know, get fake, fake boobs and, you know, wear greasy food and wings at Hooters to appease him and all that. It's a, it's a fun monologue. But like, I, I think that's an interesting example where like in twilight, it's, you do have to change for your partner and that's becoming a vampire, <laughs> which yeah. seems a you little You have to become extreme. sparkly in order to, yeah. Right. Um, another example that I can think of um, is, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. Which it's like, isn't it romantic that this multi-billionaire has fallen in love with this commoner virgin? Yeah. Her name was like Virgin Jones or something. Virgin Jones. Yeah. Similar virgin to, Rivers. Was it Emma Young <laughs> yeah. from last episode? No, no. It was uh, Tessa. Tessa Young. Tessa Young. Oh, yeah. God. No, something that I do want to talk about is uh, we did talk about sex and abuse like really quickly, but I did want to like touch on the fact that unless it is like obviously established and there's some sort of like agreement, there should be no power dynamic when it comes to sex. Obviously, there are exceptions to this rule. You can have like you can be into like BDSM or something, but still, I would tread very lightly there. Yeah, and that's not to say these relationships can't work out. It's just that these relationships have all of the red flags that you would consider like and it indicative takes, of abusive yeah, behavior. And it takes such a mental toll if you continue in these relationships. So, like, if you for whatever reason have found yourself in a relationship where you're dating someone much older than you, someone in a position of power over you, someone who has far more wealth than you, um well, first, listen to this episode. Yeah. And second, you know, kind of take some book. mental notes about whether or not they're leveraging any of that in order to get favors from you, in order to put you in positions you don't want to be. Um, because there's a difference between dating someone who's wealthy, who uses it to treat you to things because they like you and care about you as a person, and someone who's wealthy who buys you expensive stuff and then uses that to get the sexual stuff they want in the bedroom. Yeah, maybe talk about boundaries, you know, crazy. You know, okay, like I'm going to finish up this. Yeah, I'm going to finish up this list really quickly while you're still researching those. Um, so a boy's early training about sex roles and about relationships can feed abuse. So... Boys are taught from a young age that their wife or girlfriend should nurture and care for them. You know, like when you're in kindergarten, they're like, oh, like how many boys are in here? How many, they can help me move these chairs. Girls are so petite and small and oh, should only work in the kitchen. Well, that kind of disproves your point. I'd argue it's more of reinforcing gender roles by having all those toys for girls, which are like, you can be a mommy and all the toys for boys, which are like, you can murder people. You can have a monster truck. Yeah. Um, some messages. In Mommy me- or monster truck. <laughs> the struggle continues. <laughs> some messages in media oriented towards children and teens support abuse by men. So the Bernstein Bears book, uh, Trouble with Homework specifically. This is a stretch. This is cover, this going to be our episode no, 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 cover? No, this cover depicts Papa Bear getting mad at Mama Bear and like Mama Bear is like cowering away. Pornographic videos, magazines, and websites are learning grounds. So I keep saying this. We need to teach sexual education in schools so that young people, like, don't depend on porn as their only form of sexual education. And I think that that really, like, hurts and, like, plays into this as well. I'm not saying that, like, every single abusive man is abusive because of pornographic videos or magazines or websites, but I do think that it does play a role. 
boys often learn that they are more responsible, that they are not responsible for their actions. So boys aggressively is um, aggressiveness in classrooms, for instance, is increasingly being treated as a medical problem and not a behavioral problem. So when they get aggressive, let's just say in the classroom, their teacher pulls them aside and they're like, oh, I'm going to talk to your mom because your mom has to go get you um, a psychological or a test um, and see if you're um, if this is a um, behavioral issue or if this is an issue, um, a medical issue and not a behavioral issue. Yeah, that's not to say you can't solve some medical conditions with medicine, but I was a counselor at a summer camp a couple of years ago and there was a bunch of kids from like not great homes who were, you know, taken up there by a charity and, you know, got to experience nature and, you know, hanging out with other teens their age. And there was one kid on there who had 37 medications. He had to take 37 medications every day. For his behavior? I don't know what it was. I mean, he was like a pretty like chill kid who was like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. okay. And I have to wonder how much of that yeah, was like probably. taking a bunch yeah. of like pills every day. It was crazy. So the last thing that feeds into abuse um, is when culture and home life dovetail, it reinforce, they like reinforce the other. So um, if culture is, um, the culture that they're consuming is making it seem as if abuse of women is okay and their home life is saying the same thing, um, both of them reinforce the other. So, Joel, do you have anything else to say before we wrap up this episode? Um, about porn, like, we still need to put together an episode on that. Yeah. Um, I think we have some interesting stuff to talk about, but we need to structure it in some degree. Yeah. Um, the, the term I'm thinking of is uh, in professional wrestling, there's a, a thing called kayfabe. Uh, Wikipedia says kayfabe as a noun is the portrayal of stage events within the industry as real or true, specifically the portrayal of competition, rivalries, and relationships between participants as being genuine and not staged. The term kayfabe has evolved to also become a code word of sorts for maintaining this reality within the direct or indirect presence of the general public. Um, this is a very like postmodern concept, but it's this idea that like professional wrestling, which is a series of staged clips where like performers have beefs with one another and like performers avenge one another and performers fall in love with one another and performers, you know, uh, may achieve great glory in the, you know, the ring. 99% of that is, you know, just, Oh, who's the audience, you know, rooting for, okay, we're going to give them a bigger part next week. And they come up with scenarios so that these like performers can get more prominence yeah. and show up more in the same way. Like, Porn is very, very fake in the same degree, Yeah. right? It's not a portrayal of sex. It's a portrayal of kayfabe, this, like, thing that's not really what sex is, but it's treated as though it's real and, like, a, a, an actual reflection of reality. And that's, I think, very much by design, um, but it also makes it very difficult for people who have the internet to perceive, you know, what is a healthy sexual relationship? What can I expect in the bedroom? What things can I ask my partner to do? Um, and, and I think that's something that we'll probably dig into a bit deeper when we finally get around to our, like, sex education pornography episode is discussing it's not inherently that porn is bad. It's that the things porn is portraying make it super difficult for people to understand what's acceptable. And you can have a life that, you know, utilizes pornography to a degree and not become like a person with bad perceptions of sex, but you gotta be really careful. There's a thin line to tread. And I think it's very easy to fall into misconceptions that lead to abusive behavior. That's all I got for now. Okay. So, um, some main things just to wrap up this episode that I want to have are the most important takeaways from this book. Um, there are three things. An abusive man's emotional problems don't cause, do not cause his abusiveness. You cannot change him by figuring out what is bothering him and helping him feel better or improving the dynamics of your relationship. Abusers have conscience, consciences. It's their sense of entitlement that causes the blame and abuse on their partner. And third, the abuse isn't the goal, the power is. So, um, if you are struggling with an abusive relationship, there are several hotlines that we will um, give um, in the description of this video, either on, well, probably on our Spotify and all of our social medias. Um, and um, if you're still struggling with um, ideas of consent, um, I mentioned a few episodes that we've done in the past. Our consent episodes are really popular. A lot of people tell us that we uh, they've learned a lot from it. So um, go check that out. Joel, any last comments? I'm a little bummed out, Naomi. I think this was a helpful resource, but it's yeah. frustrating hearing, you know, how common this is that it's been pathologized and like broken down, restructured. It's 
I don't know. It's reassuring to me when there's like an issue and like we don't fully understand the extent of it. So it's unclear what the impact is. And it's more troubling when like researchers have spent years studying this and come up with all this elaborate terminology and like ways of categorizing it because it indicates one it's a big enough problem that somebody spent the time to do this. Yeah. And two, the problem is like such a big extent that you can further subdivide it into more and more categories and like yeah. come up with ways of understanding. So my hope is that people can utilize this research to to improve their lives and it isn't and just aware. going to like sort yeah. of sit as an elephant in the room and be yeah. like, yep, abuse exists. What are we going to do about yeah. it? Anything exciting you're looking forward to in this coming week of – uh, sorry. What's what's the week? Uh, the week is going to be uh, January seventeenth. Uh, the, the because we're recording on the weekend before that date. Okay. So I'd still like to say I'm sad the queen died. Stop saying that. It's going to be so um, weird when the queen dies this coming week. So By which I mean last week. Stop. I think that in early February she's going to be reigning for like seventy years. That's disgusting. Um, upcoming week. Let's see. I start school again. I start mm. my spring semester, my junior year. Um, what, what else? I'm going to San Diego next weekend Ooh. for MLK day. Um, I'm going to go help celebrate my partner's little sister's birthday. Nice. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't remember that MLK was a big fan of the beach. Uh, he said, I have a dream, and that is to relax on a lawn chair <laughs> drinking It's going to be, like, 50 degrees. Like, I think I'm just going to, like, watch him surf or something, but he's going to have a wetsuit on. MLK? So. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. MLK also a big surfer. <laughs> That's something they don't report in the mainstream media. Is there anything you're looking forward to this week? Um. Do you get MLK Day off? Um. Oh, golly. I, I don't know. You should probably figure that out. You should probably out. check that out. Yeah. Joel's going to eat a lot of nachos this week. That is how I cope with a lot of stress in my life. Yeah. What is stressful, though, is you go to a lot of restaurants and they have nachos on the menu, but they already have meat on them. And you'd be like, can you not have the meat? <laughs> and the waitress looks at you like you're the worst thing she's ever yeah, seen. Yeah, because the meat's, like, really good. Mm. I'm excited to go. There's a place in Tempe which does nachos with Beyond Burger crumbles on top. Oh, you should do that this that week. That seems like such a minor thing, but the fact that restaurants can cater to me now in this Aww. utopia of 2022, yeah. it's, uh, it's nice. It's 2022, bitches. Yeah. Oh, shit. What? Um, do we have time to briefly discuss what 2022 needs to be the year of, or should we do that on another episode? No, I think we definitely do need to talk about this. 2022. 2022, much fun. 2022, much fun. I think this is a year when people need to de-stress and yes. find new things. I've heard, you know, someone tweeted, they were like, you know, this is the year to drink all your expensive wine, burn yeah. all your fancy candles, do the things that make you feel good because yeah. everyone's just overloaded on stress all the time. Yeah. And like, we're not saying that like you can't be stressed. It's just a lot of people kind of save the things that are good in their life, thinking that they're going to have a better opportunity to use them. No, 2022 needs to be 2022 much fun. I think I, my catchphrase was CCB, which was comfort, Good cooking. I don't know how the G went in there. And beaches. Beaches. Yeah. Beaches, please. No, like not like bitches, like beaches. Like I want to go to the beach. I'm aware of that. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. I was just quoting the Reverend Dr. Martin. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, uh, have a great week, everyone. We have many thanks for the use of our theme music, which is the song Drop by Ketza. You can find more of their music online at ketza.uk. You can also find Date These Guys online on Twitter and Instagram at datetheseguys or visit datetheseguys.org. If you have questions for the podcast or want to be a wealthy sugar parent, send an email to datetheseguys at gmail.com. If you're looking to make an impact in the world, this show strongly recommends Planned Parenthood, a nonprofit organization that provides reproductive health care in the United States. Planned Parenthood provides birth control, long-acting reversible contraceptive implants, clinical breast examinations, pregnancy screenings, prenatal care, testing and treatment for sexually transmitted infections, and abortions. They also do great work for those who are lower income. Four-fifths of their clients are at or below 50% of the federal poverty line. Both Joel and Naomi are monthly donors to Planned Parenthood. We hope you will be too.